I noticed when I came up to do the announcements that uh, as of right now, according to the clock in the back of the room, it's only 1030. So I've got like two hours to preach this morning. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, Thanks for showing up. We have revival. (laughs) Yeah, I love time change. Spring it forward. No, I I must warn you, I'm hyper-caffeinated. It's one of those things... Always worried that the technology isn't going to update itself like they say it will. So I just kept waking up, and finally, somewhere around three thirty or four, I was like, ah, "I'll just start drinking coffee." <laughs> so, yeah, I don't recommend it, but here we are. This morning, we're going to look at the foundation of reconciliation, and we're going to begin a three-week focal point on the person of Christ. And we're going to look at today, kind of the humanity of Christ. Next week. We're going to look at how, how Christ and God kind of interact. And, and so I'm really excited because all of this leads up to Resurrection Sunday in the person of Christ and what he experienced. And, and today, in just a minute, we're going to read through Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23, because I want to keep everything in context. But I want you to know that Colossians 1, 13 through 23 is kind of the whole scripture for the next three weeks. So we'll be breaking that down as we go over the next couple of weeks. I want to keep everything in context. Today, we're going to focus specifically on verses 15 through 17 as we get there and as we look at the person of Christ through the lens of this foundation of reconciliation. As we get started this morning, though, I want you to just pause and listen with me as my good friend Amina Brown, actually, I've never met her. I just wanted to say that, but Amina Brown describes the person of Christ in her spoken word video titled The Word. Watch this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not recognize it. The light shines through the darkness, but the darkness didn't even notice He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even in his own land and among his own people, he wasn't wanted. But to those who believed him, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed he was how he claimed and would do what he said, he gave the right to become children of God. And we have seen his glory, the glory that a one and only son can only receive from his father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became human and lived here on earth among us. And having become human, he stayed human. He humbled himself. He didn't accept any special privileges. He lived a selfless, obedient life to die a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. I think my... Favorite line in that description of the person of Christ is where she says, And having become human, he stayed human. He humbled himself. He didn't accept any special privileges on earth. He lived a life of selfless obedience. And he died a selfless selfless obedient death. He didn't take any special shortcuts in his physical life here on earth. I want you to think about those words that you just heard as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. 
For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the love, excuse me, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. And not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. The first thing that I want to look at here about the person of Jesus Christ is that he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 15, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You see, John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was with God. In the beginning, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. This scripture is one of the most important key passages, I think, ever written because it shows two very significant things about Jesus Christ. First, it destroys false teachings and false thoughts about God and Jesus. Paul tells us here that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This verse also reveals exactly who God and Jesus are. This was the point that Paul's making. You see, false teachings had seeped into the Colossian church. A false teaching that attacked Jesus Christ. That said, and the sad thing is, the same false teaching is still around today. It's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, it's one of the reasons that the pastor of the Colossian church, Epaphras, goes out and visits Paul to get Paul's advice on how to deal with this heresy. And throughout this passage that we're going to study over the next few weeks, Paul is answering this false teaching of Gnosticism. It seeped into the church, and there's no better way to counteract false teaching than to present the truth, and that's exactly what Paul does. He starts off right away with where God was and who Jesus is. This false teaching of Gnosticism, it's an attack against Jesus Christ. It's an attack against His work and His person. And so Paul does what Paul does best. He takes up his pen and he goes to work and he proclaims in this letter to the Colossian church, both God and Christ. And he writes, make no mistake, this is my version, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and that Jesus is above all things. I want to touch on this word that he used for image. It's the word icon. It's spelled E-I-K-O-N. You may see it in your office on the copy machine now spelled I-K-O-N. Icon. It's a Greek word. It means the exact image. It's not the same image as the receipt you get from the restaurant 
where the first one is nice and sharp and the second one's blurry. It's not the same receipt that you get maybe from the fax machine. Who remembers fax machines? Don't raise your hand, you'll be dated. It was rhetorical. <laughs> the fax machine, you put it in and it was, it was a nice copy of something and you run it through the fax machine and on the other side you got something and you were hoping it's what was sent to you so you would sign it and fax it back and by the time it went back and forth there was just... It looked like a redacted government paper where just black lines where you couldn't really read anything. That's not the copy we're talking about. We're not talking about the, the, the white. They still use these in schools a lot. The, the white, yellow, and pink copies that, that automatically transfer. And by the time you get that pink copy that's for your records, you don't even know what it says. It's like somebody wrote it on an Etch-A-Sketch and shook it just a little bit. This word icon, it means the exact image. It's not, it's not a little fuzzy or, or just a little out of focus, but it's an exact image. And Paul is saying, make no mistake here. Jesus Christ is the exact image of God, the very person of God, the very representation of God in every respect. Jesus was the perfect manifestation or the perfect revelation of good. You see, God is invisible. Jesus even says, that. he says, God is unseen, but Jesus reveals God to the world. He revealed God as the exact image, the perfect representation of God. Now, why am I going on and on about the person of Christ and making such a big deal about this exact representation? Because we need to know the impact of this truth in our world today. We live in a self-indulgent world where doubt and self-elevation run rampant. I think that understanding the person of Jesus Christ can have explosive repercussions for us in a good way. You see, when we look at what Paul has written here, it destroys any false teachings about God and Christ. It reveals God to man. In just two short sentences, Paul shows us who God is and what he's like. You have to understand, Gnosticism says there are many intermediaries between God and man. Gnosticism makes this claim that Jesus was not the only mediator. He was not the only way to God. And even today, people will say Jesus is not the only person that can bring us near to God. That he is not the only mediator between man and God. People will tell you there are other great men who were just as great a teacher as Jesus Christ, that are just important in history as Jesus Christ. Those history People will tell you today that that there are people besides Jesus Christ who can bring us in touch with God. They'll reference people like Buddha and Muhammad and Gandhi and many other leaders and self-proclaimed messiahs. But look at how truth destroys this false teaching of Gnosticism. Because Jesus, who lived and walked among men, is the image of God, the very Lord of the universe. And this here means a most significant thing when you really Allow your mind to comprehend it. It means that God is not what most men think he is. He's not for us to define. He's not for us to put in a box. He's also not, he's not an unconcerned and distant God who's off in outer space somewhere. He's not separated from man by a host of intermediaries, by many different ways to reach him. He's not out of touch with the world that he's created. He's not made it difficult to reach him. He's made it very simple. He is close at hand, so close. He came to earth and he lived as a man among us. And in doing so, he's done two great things for us through Jesus Christ. First, he's shown us exactly who he is and what, he, what he's like. Second, he's shown us the way to reach him. 
one of my favorite things about this illustration that we have, it's on the bulletin and, and it's up here, is that that whole chasm concept. There's this space. There's a space between us. There's a space between God. The only thing that fills that space is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing needed to fill that space. All these other things don't fill that space. All these other things do not connect us to our God. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. There's no other way to God except through me. The second thing is he's shown us the way to reach him, which I just explained to you. And I want to take a minute and think about all the things that Jesus shows us about God. I call these facts because, well, I'm right. (laughs) The fact that Jesus came to earth shows us that, that he and he alone is the supreme person who can take us before God. The fact that Jesus came to earth shows us that God is near. Jesus said repeatedly, I and the Father are one. He didn't say, I and the Father are separated by Gamaliel or some other teacher of their time. The fact that Jesus lived as a man, that he ministered, that he helped people, that he served people, that he showed compassion. That simple fact shows us that our God cares. The fact that Jesus died at the hands of men shows that God is love. Not because men were able to trump the power of God, but because Jesus willingly sacrificed himself. You see, being God, he didn't have to die. Scripture tells us he could have called down a host of angels to deliver himself. But he chose to submit to the will of the Father. The fact that Jesus Christ proclaimed salvation to man shows that our God is our Savior. And the fact that Jesus proclaimed judgment upon evil. Nobody likes that word. You can't judge me. I'm not. I don't have to. If I were the judge, everybody would be in trouble. I don't always show grace and mercy the way that I should. But Jesus proclaimed judgment upon evil. And he warned us of destruction that's going to come because of evil. And it shows that God is a just Lord The list could go on and on, but the point is pretty clear. God is not so unconcerned and far away from us that he has left us to grope and stumble around in the darkness through this life on our own, seeking after him and hoping to find him. But our God loves us and cares for us so much that he showed up. When you look at other religions, nobody else did that. Not in the same way. Our God loves and cares for us so much that he has shown us exactly who he is. And he's shown us exactly what he is like. And he has shown us the way to reach him. And Jesus Christ alone is the image of God, the supreme person of the universe. He alone is the mediator between God and man. He alone is the way, the truth, and the light. And if you're wondering how close God is to you right now in your life, because we, we get off on these tangents. We're like, I just don't feel like God is very close to me right now. I feel so alone in this world. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God has left me. I'm struggling through something. I don't know what's going on. I just feel alone. Where is God? Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering how close God is to you, he's only as close as you allow Jesus to be. So if you're going through life without Jesus, 
spoiler alert, you're going through life without God. We weren't created to do that. Christ is the creator. He is above all things. In verse 16, Paul tells us, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Galatians 3.13 also reminds us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Jesus' human nature included not only a body, but a human soul. And Scripture tells us that Jesus has been tempted in all things, just as we have been tempted. Yet he is without sin. It's important that we understand this in the person of Christ. It means that he never willed to do anything sinful. It doesn't mean he wasn't approached with opportunities. It doesn't mean he didn't have temptation, but he never willed to do anything sinful. I want to be very clear on this. Jesus never did or thought anything contrary to God's divine law. And I bring that up because there are a lot of things written about Jesus that just aren't true. There are a lot of things supposed about Jesus because we don't see it in Scripture and sometimes when, when we don't see something exact, we just make stuff up. And so there are things that are said uh, about Jesus that just aren't true. About his life as a little boy, about his life as a young man before he began his ministry. We need to be careful. Because we need to understand that Jesus never did or, or thought anything contrary to God's law. He committed no sin. No deceit ever came out of his mouth. Some people claim that Jesus' absence of sin somehow uh, meant that he was less than human. Well, he was, you know, he, 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 was, he was less than human. He wasn't fully human. He was more spiritual than he was human. Uh, there's, there are some people that have written extensively about how Jesus never was fully human. He was more just spiritual. But then he did things that fully human people could do. Uh, I think it's because we often use our, our humanness as an excuse for sin. And so that's how we have to justify it. Well, I'm only human. So it's okay. We all make mistakes. To err is human, right? I mean, yeah, nobody's perfect. We say these things and then we use them to justify our lifestyles as if sin were natural and expected from anyone who was truly human. If he was truly human, he would have sinned. I mean, look, Adam and Eve... First people created in God's image, set the standard, they sinned. How is it that Jesus never sinned? The implication here is if Jesus were really human, he would have sinned. And this reasoning is seriously flawed. We humans need to remember sin is not natural for us. Because God created us in his image. Sin was not a natural thing. But he created us as free will creatures. Which meant, yes, we're able to sin, but we're also able not to sin. And indeed, we are commanded and expected not to sin. And we need to understand as we look at the foundation of reconciliation, rather than, being, than sin being a, a mark of true humanity, sin is a gap. Sin is the gap in our deviation from true humanness. Sin is the gap 
that separates us from God. This is a big deal for us. You see, the sinlessness of Jesus' life was necessary so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us he was a spotless lamb. The Bible says that he offered himself without blemish to God. If Jesus had committed even the, the smallest, tiniest, least sin, he would have been a guilty sinner just like us. And in such a case, he would not be able to be our Savior, but he himself would be in need of a Savior. And when it comes to the foundation of reconciliation and the person of Jesus Christ, I am grateful that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I am grateful that he is the firstborn of all creation. I am grateful that he lived a sinless life. And I am grateful that he gave us examples of how we should live in his word. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. It says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And verse 9 says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we come to our response time this morning, my question for you is, Have you confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to rise and walk in the newness of life? And maybe you've done that, but you find yourself struggling with life as a Christian. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to talk with you. But as you think about the person of Jesus and this little snapshot that I've given you today, I'd like for you to consider your response to God's word this morning. Will you stand and sing our response song and consider how you might respond? I tell you, it's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to pray with you, to share God's word with you. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, I want you to go knowing that there is so much power in the person of Jesus Christ. Go knowing that Jesus is indeed before all things. And in him all things are held together. He is the head of this body right here. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, including our lives. And if he has first place in everything, it's on us to go knowing that we have a responsibility to share about the person of Jesus Christ with someone this week. Will you sing this last song with us?